You know, sin killed our spirit and it really damages us from this point on. Now, sin, what is sin? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery, where we study the Bible by reading it and learn what God is saying to us, because that's what the Bible is. God is talking to humanity. That's going to be very interesting. Helping us study today is Corey and Ryan. Corey? Well, we are taking a look at Jeremiah chapter 17 and the high places of Judah. Ryan? Well, I have a riddle for us today, and it's this. Daniel says that Nebuchadnezzar first besieged Jerusalem in the third year of Jehoiakim's reign. But Jeremiah says that it was in Jehoiakim's fourth year. Both are right, but how? It's a good question, and we'll find that out in 20 minutes. In 25 minutes, Janice is going to teach. Jan? Today, growing fruit. All right, very good. So get your Bible guide out, turn to today's passage, and let's look at this and hear what God is saying to us. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 13. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at his end he will be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 13. Today, as we continue to go through the Bible, we read Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah 18, and Jeremiah 19. This is really something. And as we read through the Bible, it gets interesting. But we're going to focus on Jeremiah 17, 7 to 13, so that we can talk about the high standard. You know, the Lord God is the originator of life. Let me say that again. The Lord God is the originator of life. There is nothing living that does not owe its existence to God. This concept of God as the ultimate creator changes the way we believe in and trust in him. God is life, and without him there is no life. Now, some people believe that life did not have an intelligent cause, that it was a random occurrence of chance and time, that it began the process of that resulted in the existence of life. They come from slime. 
But everything that we know, however, points us to the opposite conclusion. Results have causes. Designers have designs. Life has a life giver. The prophet Jeremiah spent a lot of time exploring the wisdom of God in his ministry. And Jeremiah chapter 17 is one of those places where we discover that the words of God come from a life-giving creator. Now, I realize that there'll be some people who, you know, this is going to be uncomfortable for them because it's what the word of God says. And I'm just reporting what the word of God says. So, you know, don't get mad at me. Read it for yourself in the Bible. And then you can blame what every, whoever you want, God himself, if you want. We need to listen to this because it's important. The high standard means that we think differently. You see, if we act, if we, we come from slime, it's very easy to act like slime, isn't it? But if we come from the design of God, that's different. We are responsible. Responsible. Remember that word? Responsible. So, Father, I pray today that you would help us to become responsible. Help us to be people, as we study the high standard, to know and to understand and to hear what you're telling us. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And this is how we're going to say it. Make it so. We say, Lord, amen. Now, remember, you can get your Bible guide if you call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. We very much appreciate them. And Father, be with our partners, the people who have given to us. Help them, Lord, and grow their, their strength today. Help them in this time of hard difficulties and everything else. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, here is the question that I have. Do you know 17, beginning with verse 7? This is great. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Now, I'm going to ask the question, what's on the American dollar? Trust We trust in God. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from any yielding fruit. Now, listen to what he's saying here. God's people are like a tree whose roots are planted by the water. Drought or heat will not affect their growth. What am I saying? The Lord is our life. <laughs> listen to me. This is exactly what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of the sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his, he meditates in the law of the Lord day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bears fruit in his season. You see, that's what God says. God says, when, when you bring me into your life, I'm going to help you with life. You're going to have a supernatural advantage in life. Not how you want it but how God wants it. That's, that's the truth. All right, let's go back to the scripture and learn more. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, all things, and desperately wicked, desperately wicked who can know it. 
The heart is evil, man. Let me tell you. Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. This is incredible. See, sin, which is in our heart, has killed our spirit and caused us great evil. But listen, listen. Only God is able to search out our heart and heal it. Jesus Christ said to us, it's recorded in all the gospels. Jesus Christ said to us, I will come into your heart. I remember John 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. For in my father's house, there are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. God has, if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, he is preparing a place for you. Now that is awesome and cool. And many other ways you can describe it. I don't know how, but wouldn't be good enough. So keep that in mind because that's important. Now let's read some more scripture here. As a partridge that broods, but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by right. What? I'm telling you the truth. This is exactly what I'm telling you. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at the end he will be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is a place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountains of living water. What, what are we talking about here? God is the living water. He is the ultimate giver of life. We must stay close to the Lord, planting our roots deep into the foundations of his living water. Now, remember this, that God, we plant our foundation in what God is doing. That's totally different than what the world's doing. The world is going downhill. Some people call it global warming. Some people call it climate change, whatever you want to call it. The world is descending, beloved. This is all in prophecy. It's all there. And the world's going to be used in many ways to articulate the wrath of God. But God says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. Remember what the Lord said to his disciples. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the Lord. That's awesome. Now, we don't need to pollute and do crazy things, but we do not need to be afraid. Because God is doing what God is doing at this time, and we are witnessing it and praying for it and reading the Bible to understand what he's doing. Very critical to know this today. As we get into the prophets, we're going to talk about this over the next few months. So remember, read the word of God, keep it in your heart, and God will show you exactly what's going on and why he's doing what he's doing. Very important. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now, you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
Today, I want to talk to you about high places, because as we see here in Jeremiah, the high places in Judah are indicted as a place of apostasy. I'll read you just a few uh, verses here from chapter 17. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. Uh, My mountain in the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder together with your high places because of the sin throughout your country. So we see here in Jeremiah and the other prophets, these high places being talked of as places of apostasy. But it's a little bit confusing for those of us who know the Bible well, because when you go back to the time period of Samuel, he was a man of God, a prophet, and yet he actively used high places as a place to worship God. So what are they? A place to worship God or a place of pagan apostasy? How should we understand high places in the Bible? First, what were they? It's known that high places were set apart for religious practices and contained an altar for sacrifices. Though perhaps originally built on hilltops, there was diversity in their location, likely due to convenience and cultural significance. They could be built on hills and hillsides, in towns, in city gates, and even in ravines and valleys. Many, if not most, high places probably included other structures like outbuildings and walls. The Bible speaks of them as being built and destroyed. With the birth of Israel as a nation and the giving of the Mosaic Law, the practice of building altars and worshipping at high places was outlawed in Deuteronomy 12. Israel's worship was to be different than Canaanite worship and eventually be limited to a place where God would choose to put his name. During the conquest of the Promised Land, before a place for God's name was chosen, which presumably meant a place to put the sanctuary, Joshua built a high place on Mount Ebal. At some point during Joshua's life, though, the permanent sanctuary site was chosen, Shiloh. The tabernacle was pitched there and permanent religious structures were built up around it. The next period, that of the Judges, was a time of ever-growing religious apostasy. By the end of the book, we see the descendants of Moses ministering before idols and the tribes of Israel as largely descended into moral spiritual chaos. The lifetime of the last judge, the prophet and priest Samuel, saw much change, not the least of which was the destruction of the sanctuary precinct in Shiloh, though the tent tabernacle, altar, and Ark of the Covenant escaped destruction. Samuel was undeniably a man of God, yet he was a habitual user of the high places in Israel. He routinely sacrificed on them. After the Temple of Solomon was built in Jerusalem, the Bible establishes it became the new place of God's name. The authors of Kings and Chronicles began to judge the kings of Israel based on whether they attempted to remove the high places. So then, culturally, though there was a temple, a place of God's name, the people generally continued to use the high places. What we see in the Bible demonstrates that Israelite high places were seen as acceptable to God under the conditions that the practices conform to the worship of God and that they were being used in a time before an official place of the name had been chosen. This would explain why in Samuel's life, the high places were not criticized. Shiloh had been destroyed and apparently a new place had not yet been chosen. 
beyond this, Deuteronomy 12 does provide exceptions to the rule of sacrificing only at the official sanctuary. Animals were allowed to be slaughtered for consumption at any village, town, or city. This provision allowed for practical meat consumption and celebration without the burden to travel to the official sanctuary. I really hope that that clears up some of the discrepancy for you. We see that there was definitely a specific time and place uh, and, and procedure for the use of a high place, for, for the use of a sacrificial site not associated with uh, the temple of God in Jerusalem. Of course, Samuel was before the temple of God in Jerusalem and after the, temp the, the sanctuary of God had been destroyed in Shiloh, though the altar of uh, the, the bronze altar of sacrifice was still in existence during Samuel's life. It apparently was appropriate during that time period to worship God in different ways before the centralization of the government and the religious structure of Israel uh, under David and Solomon. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Really interesting to look at this, too, because uh, 700 years between uh, Moses and uh, Samuel. Excellent. Very good. Or Moses and Jeremiah. Yeah. Samuel and Jeremiah. I'll get it straight. <laughs> okay, Ryan, go ahead. All right. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, I have a riddle for us today, and it involves numbers. See, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 says that Nebuchadnezzar first besieged Jerusalem in the third year of Jehoiakim's reign. But then Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 2 indicates that this happened in Jehoiakim's fourth year. Now, believe it or not, both passages are correct. But how is this possible? Well, Let's study. Those who attempt to discredit the Bible as the Word of God often claim that there are many mistakes and contradictions within its pages. It is highly significant, however, that no such mistake has ever yet been proved to the satisfaction of a court of law, although various attempts have been made to do so. It is apparent that the critics' real motivation for this attack is based on their offense of the biblical teachings. For example, the scriptures proclaim that we are created by God, and therefore we belong to Him and are accountable to Him. This is not a popular message to say the least, and so the attacks from skeptics persist. For example, a claim has been made that there is a contradiction between Daniel 1.1 and Jeremiah 46.2. Daniel 1.1 says that Nebuchadnezzar first besieged Jerusalem in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Yet according to Jeremiah 46.2, the first year of Nebuchadnezzar was the fourth year of Jehoiakim. So which passage is correct? Actually, they both are. Old Testament scholar Gleason Archer explains how. Nebuchadnezzar was crowned king of Babylon in 605 BC, which according to the Babylonian system would have been the accession year of Nebuchadnezzar. His first regnal year did not begin, therefore, until New Year's Day in 604. But according to the Judean system, the accession year counted as the first year of a king's reign. Since Jehoiakim was appointed king of Judah in 608 by Pharaoh Necho, 605 would be reckoned his fourth year, which Jeremiah as a resident of Jerusalem would naturally have followed. But according to the Babylonian reckoning, which Daniel as a resident of Babylon naturally followed, 605 would have been Jehoiakim's third year, reckoning his first regnal year from New Year's Day 607. From this, it is clear to see that in reality, both statements are correct and both give the same year, 605, as Nebuchadnezzar's victory at the Battle of Carchemish. Therefore, there is absolutely no contradiction. 
So it's easy to see that both passages are correct since it's well known that the Babylonian culture and the Judean culture reckoned time differently. Although skeptics love to quibble over apparent Bible contradictions like this one, the reality is, is that there really are none. So the, the point is that you've got to pay attention to as you read, uh, to what you're reading and learn how the Bible talks and learn how the Bible explains things. Otherwise, you're going to find a whole bunch of contradictions. It's true. I mean, you're, you're speaking about attitude as well, uh, your attitude when you're reading the Bible. Um, my attitude when I'm reading it is because my conviction is that it is the Word of God. Is if, I, if I'm confused about something, I come at it and say, okay, I'm not understanding something. So then I start to go back and I start to look and that's when I, that's when I find the answer. And if I can't find the answer, I ask God to show me and eventually he, he does. does. Yeah, so right? he does. So you don't, you don't broadcast it. Uh, well, there's a contradiction in the Bible. You don't be, it's something you personally work on until you figure it out, until God shows it to you. And then you can say, well, this is the problem we had. And mm -hmm. that's what God showed me. Fascinating. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. And it's also good too. Like th th that's why, you know, we bring this television program as well so that we can learn and study together. That's why it's awesome too, to be able to go to church, to have fellowship uh, one with each other, because you know, you know, gone are the days, well, not for every church, but the, the days of Sunday school, you know, when we used to go and, and get lessons as children. But, but when, when you're in that word and you can ask one another as well as God, because, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. to, to some people watching right now, that might seem a little odd. Well, if I have a question, I'm going to ask God and he'll show me. Yeah. That is something that develops, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Over, sure. over time, that discipline of spending time with the Lord. And he, he does point things out. And as you go through the Bible, some people think it's just like an ordinary book. You just read it one time and you're good to go. But it's not. It, I mean, yeah. it's wonderful to be able to read it one time through, but to be able to read it over and over again, and then to make those connections through the Bible is really special. Yeah, and, and I think too, it's, it's also really important to let people in on the fact that we all struggle with different things. It's mm -hmm. not like we become a Christian, we read the Bible and we all just automatically fall in line and understand all things. You know, there are things yeah. that are difficult to understand mm -hmm. and there are things about God and about the Bible that will rub us the wrong way mm -hmm. from our culture, from our personalities, from our morality. And that is okay. That struggle is good. Uh, you know, so I think especially especially for, for new Christians, it's important for them to see that, you know, this is going to be a lifelong struggle and mm -hmm. of you trying to figure out how it all works and that's okay that's what makes it exciting and interesting and that's okay and that kind of goes where i was going to talk about today calling growing fruit because we're, we're seeing here in jeremiah chapter 17 we see a comparison be between men and women who trust in themselves versus men and women who trust in God and the difference the way God points it out. Let's see. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength. So putting all of our trust in ourselves, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert. Now picture that, visualize that. You're a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness um, in a salt land, which is not inhabited. That's somebody who trusts in him or herself. Um, it's not, a, it's not a nice picture. It's dry. It's parched. You're in a salt land, which is not inhabited. Now let's compare men and women who put their trust in God. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. And it's just like we were saying a minute ago. Uh, it's not going to be an easy road. See, we, it doesn't say that you're not going to face drought. It doesn't say you're not going to have troubles. It says that you're like a tree planted by the waters. Those roots go down. We put our roots in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the living water. We put our roots there. He is our solid foundation. And when we do that, when the trouble comes, when droughts come, when things happen, circumstances in our life, we're not, we're not anxious about it. We're not worried about it because we know that we are not trusting in ourselves or the things of this world. We're trusting in a supernatural God, a God who is the creator who wants to have a relationship with us. And then it says here at the end, as I read, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So fruit is something that grows, right? Doesn't just happen. Fruit is something that grows and it takes time to grow. And we read in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, what the fruit of the Spirit is. So this is something that as we grow in God, as we read his word, we get that into our hearts. We spend time thinking about that, asking God to help us. That's what I do. Every time I open my Bible to read, I ask God to help me, to open up my mind and my heart, to receive his word, to bring change into my life and to help me to do that. So those times are very important, spending time in prayer with God, and then things will begin to develop and change in your life. And here's the fruit of the Spirit, which will grow in your life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit that will grow in your life. As you trust in God, you're going to be like that tree planting its roots down by the river, by the water. And our leaf will be green. We won't be anxious in the year of drought, and we won't stop growing fruit. Today, as we continue in understanding God's Word, you've just seen the prayers, and those prayers are very important. We make that special time for them. And we need to pray together, you and I, and let's do that. Lord, help us to remember that we have been placed in this time by you and for you, that you have selected us to be here right now. So help us to know why, Help us to read your word and learn from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.